Welcome into Words with Wallace. I am your host, Nick Wallace. Coming at you, it is Thursday, August 17th. And if you guys are watching on the YouTube, you guys can tell I am joined by a very special guest. He is a resident Clippers expert, podcaster, NBA historian, my guy Darian Vizari, and a fellow Minuteman as well. Darian, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today, man? Oh, thanks so much, man. It's, it's, it's always a pleasure uh, to be on someone else's show, but a fellow Minuteman... I mean, come on, Minutemen gang all the way. So, I mean, it's always a pleasure, especially uh, to this. Yeah, and before all my all my people from the Northeast get mad at Darian, it is he is born and raised LA. He's a through and through Clippers fan. All right, his only the only three years of his life, to my knowledge, that he spent outside of LA, he was in Massachusetts. So he is a Clippers fan. Don't think that he's he's a, a Northeast guy like us that uh, is for some reason a Clippers fan. So we don't have to be angry at him, Celtics Nation. But um, he does a great work for the Lockdown podcast network covering the clippers he also has his own podcast called dime dropper so we'll get into that darian will let you know where to find him at the end of this episode but we're here today to talk about the clippers right we're doing an off-season deep, deep dive uh and they've actually made some headlines this week um thanks to one and only james harden and his outlandish demands demanding to be sent over to the los angeles clippers that we'll talk about in a second uh, I know Darian's been, you know, turned into a, a James Harden expert the past couple of weeks, so we'll get his take in a second. But I just wanted to start with an, an overview on on the Clippers, right? They're one of the most unique teams in the NBA because despite their shortcomings in the playoffs, me, myself and and I know you are probably in this boat as well, still have a lot of faith in this team when when healthy, right? Those are the the, the key words, right? And as a team that obviously they came up short, missing their two best players in general, how are you feeling? What are the vibes like for Clippers Nation heading into next season? I honestly think the vibes are as pessimistic as they've been in the time that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have been here. And I think that the rest of the league feels the same way. You know, on, on the day that we're recording this, the NBA released the schedule and the nationally televised schedule for the leagues, you know, for every team in the league. And the Clippers, we only have 22 games on national television this year, which I know that sounds insane to say only 22. But in the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George era, we've had 30 plus basically every single year, except for the year that Kawhi missed the whole season with the ACL tear. So I think the rest of the league also is like, we just don't know who's going to be playing on a given night when we schedule the Clippers on TV. You know, is Kawhi going to be load managing? Is Paul George going to be injured? So I think there's such a doubt about the health of our stars. And for the first time with Kawhi Leonard being healthy as a Clipper, we don't really have that, oh, they got to make it to the conference finals or else type of mentality. I think people I think there's a lot of Clipper fans that are still optimistic because I think Clipper fans are just optimists by nature I mean how can you follow a team that's had this much misery involved with them over the years and, and still stick with them I think you have to be somewhat of an optimistic fan but a lot of us are really fed up and just think that they got to show it you know we're tired of hearing the talk we need to see them show it and as you said it really all starts with the health of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and because that's such a question mark I don't think many people are too confident going into this season, but as you said, when healthy, we really do have a chance to compete with anyone. So it's just a matter of how long can we keep Kawhi Leonard and Paul George healthy, and then hopefully having Russ in the beginning of the season, having Mason Plumlee from the beginning of the season, that will get us off to a better start than last year. Absolutely. That's a great point. And I think that, you know, the interesting thing about the Clippers, obviously, right, is that, you know, despite the fact that they haven't even really made it, you know, super far outside of the exception of, you know, what was the year that they came up short? It was at the conference finals against the Suns, right, that they came up short yeah. in the, uh, the 2021 playoffs, right? You know, beyond that, they haven't even made it that far. But like, when you're looking at their roster at the start of the season, right, like, 
how many teams would you even say have a legitimate chance at winning a title? There's probably only, you know, I did, I just was, you know, chicken scratch, wrote some names down. I, I came up with seven teams, but I still feel like the Clippers are, are one of the few because we just, we just haven't seen it yet. And so it's just, you know, to me looking at it, like, I, I don't know what it's like to be a Clippers fan. I know you have a, a lifetime history of it. What is, what is the patience like? Is it feeling like this is a, you know, perhaps a last dance type of situation with this current core as constructed or, you know, at what point do you just say, Hey, I don't think it's in the cards for these two guys to be healthy and, and we need to just kind of rebuild and start from scratch. Do you feel a little last dancey heading into next season? I think that we should have, I felt that way this off season. I, I don't believe that this, this can work. I really don't because of the health, you know, I really don't trust it. Kawhi Leonard didn't even play eight consecutive games last year. Eight. You have to play, like, to win a championship, like 21 or something. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. A whole postseason run. So I really don't know if his body can take it. And, yeah, because they didn't want to break it up this offseason, this, this definitely is a last dance kind of thing. If you guys don't go to the, at least the conference finals, at least, there's no argument to run this back. we got a new stadium opening up next season, 2024-25. Like, I get it. Steve Ballmer's a little bit afraid of starting out a potential new stadium without stars on the team. That's a big topic of conversation over here right now. But at the end of the day, I think Clipper fans, who knows? Because I don't think all of them think like me. But as far as me and a lot of people I know, like if this doesn't end in the conference finals at least this year, like I'm done with this, man. Like let's let's have a rebuild. Let's have some young players that we know are going to be available every night. They're going to play with heart. I mean, there's just so much drama and unknown with this Clipper team this past season. We don't, like, Kawhi Leonard gets hurt, and we don't know what his injury is to like, weeks later. They lie to us about it. Like, it's just, it's all over the place. And I really think that if this doesn't, if we don't get to at least the conference finals, you have to go a different direction. You have to. It's just, at, at what point do you not, at what point do you care about the fans and how they feel? This is messed, like, I personally, and as a Clipper fan, I have experience with this. I like, like, I'm gonna give you an example as a Celtics fan, you can relate to this. I, if you ask any Celtics fan, they would always say that the 2017 season that Isaiah Thomas had that incredible year was better than the 2019 season where you had the expectations of the world going into the season with Kyrie and Gordon Hayward coming back and you flopped miserably, you know, because a lot of it is the expectations that you have as a fan. And I prefer sometimes having the no expectations where you have nothing to lose as opposed to all this because it never works out well for us Clipper fans, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, a comparison as you were saying that and, you know, a comparison that just jumped into my mind was, you know, it's kind of a similar situation in some ways to what's happening in Philadelphia or what has happened in just like the process, right? They set this precedent and some old school, you know, NBA guys are, are, are pretty strong opinion on that. They set a precedent of losing, right? They built up their team through the draft. They literally intentionally tanked. They underperformed year after year to build up the draft capital to hopefully hit on a few top guys. And, you know, they did that in Joel Embiid, right? They, you know, they missed a lot of shots along the way and Jaleel Okafor and eventually Ben Simmons and some plenty of other guys that, in, in, out of those lottery picks, right? But that being said, like now that they, they have a competitive team, there's no doubt that the Philadelphia, whether you think they're a contender or not, they have a competitive team. 
And, you know, now that these guys are on the big stage, they never can seem to be able to get it done. And a lot of old school NBA guys are out here saying, hey, maybe that's because they've set this culture of losing in place to to get where they want to be. Now, I'm not saying the Clippers are intentionally losing, but having a similar situation where you're looking at the two stars of the franchise, the two guys on the billboards, the two all NBA talents, you know, that they're just sitting out game after game. And, you know, it's it's hard to argue with some of the statistics and the data behind the load management, but do you feel as though like those guys missing that many games sets a poor precedent for some of the younger guys on the roster that you do have that are trying to develop and are, are in this culture now of, of sitting out games and just trying to scrape it together for the playoffs? Do you think that that is part of the reason that this is headed toward a, you know, doom, a doom, doomsday type vibe for the Clippers heading into next season? Yeah, I don't think that. I knew we were signing up for with the load management when it came to Kawhi sitting back to backs, but Anything that's not involved with Kawhi and back-to-backs, because he has a degenerative knee, that's why he does it. Sure. Um, but anything besides that is overkill to me. Like, you gotta, you got to play when you're available. This, this whole thing in the, in the NBA now where you have to be like 90% or more to, to play is just like, okay, if you want to do that, fine, but it's going to come at the expense of the regular season results and chemistry, as you said, and it does not set a good precedent to me. You can't just waltz into the playoffs and flip a switch unless you have championship pedigree within the team and we have Kawhi. that's it though it's not it's not a one-man show like the lakers and the warriors to me and i guess you can say milwaukee and denver now you can add in that category are the teams that i think can say seating doesn't matter because they have that championship pedigree but we don't and last season we acted as if we did because in 2021 if Kawhi hadn't gone hurt we would have won the whole thing that's the whole narrative they've run with and yeah i think we would have beaten the suns with Kawhi, but I don't know if we would have beaten the Bucks. Who knows? And it, yeah, you gotta you gotta play when you can. I'm sorry, but you have to take risks. Every time you step on an NBA NBA court, you're at risk of getting hurt. That's just how it works. It's always worked that way. And Paul George, I will say though, for 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 the record, he plays when he can for the most plays when he can for the most part. Kawhi Leonard, the back to back things, the back to back situation is one thing. But then when he misses games because, oh, we've played five games in nine nights and all this stuff, it's like, that's just, that's just the NBA schedule, man. Like, that's just how it's going to go. Like, you have to play. Because then when these guys are missing so many games, anytime they do play, it feels like they have to win. Because the next night, it's a back-to-back, and you're, you're there, one of them sitting out. It's like, it's, that's just not how you build good habits. And you need to have a good regular season to win a championship because the history of basketball says – that only the 69 Celtics and the 95 Rockets won a chip when they were below a three seed. And what did those two teams have in common? They had just won the previous year. They already had championship pedigree with Akeem and with Bill Russell. So we don't have that. So you got to get a top three seed. Who won the championship this year? Denver. They were the number one seed. They took the regular season seriously the entire way. So now the Clipper players and Ty Lue are saying we got to take the regular season more seriously. I've been saying that since before the season even started. But you know what? They had to learn their lesson and put us through misery the whole year. So let's see. It's put up or shut up for them now. Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate that insight. I think that's a fantastic point on the seating and the importance of the regular season. And just doesn't seem like that's in the cards unless some of the younger guys on the Clippers roster and just, you know, the rest of the guys, the supporting cast, find a way to consistently string together wins without their two top guys. Because we would have no reason to expect it's going to be any different this upcoming season. Now, that being said, I want to just touch upon this this headline. I know you're very familiar with this, but for those that might be living under a rock and are not, you know, reading the headlines every day on ESPN for NBA storylines in the middle of August, I can't imagine why you wouldn't be. 
but, you know, there was some very notable James Harden news within the past week. I know earlier on some podcast episodes, we talked about his trade request, his desire to play for the Los Angeles Clippers, and that's been taken to a new level. Uh, earlier this week, we had Adrian Rojanowski actually, you know, report that he expected James Harden to return with Philadelphia, that the two sides were going to try to work out an agreement. He was going to play under the player option that he opted into just a few weeks ago at this point in time, right? And that story was kind of flipped on his head because just a, a day or so later, maybe, maybe two days later, James Harden was overseas at a camp, I believe was the setting, decided to get gather everybody's attention, impromptu press conference, and announced that the quote was, Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will not be a part of any organization that he is a part of. And he literally doubled down and repeated that twice. So this is what James Harden requests, you know, trade request 3.0 for those that have not been keeping track of that. And it puts the Clippers in a pretty interesting situation, similar to that of the Miami Heat, as Damian Lillard is trying to bully his way to Miami. It sounds like James Harden is trying to bully his way to Los Angeles to play for the Clippers. And that puts Clippers Nation in a pretty interesting spot. Now, I know you've been pretty public. I'm, I'm familiar with your take. But why don't you just start off and explain to the Words with Wallace listeners, do you want James Harden on the Clippers? Why or why not? Definitely not. Um, <laughs> James Harden, uh, b besides my personal opinion of his game, and, and granted, he is one of the best players of this era. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's accomplished so much in the game. Um, so I got to give respect to that. Anybody that's accomplished what he's accomplished, I mean, has to be an amazing basketball player and has to put in a lot of work. But I do think that there are certain things he lacks that are the reason why he hasn't won a championship. And a lot of that is m more mental things, if any, to, to me, the intangible things. I know a lot of fans don't like the intangibles conversation because you can't quantify it in stats. But I think, you know, talking to a Celtics fan here, I think your Celtic legend, Kevin McHale, made some good points. Now, every Harden fan was going to grill Kevin McHale because they don't think he was a good coach. That doesn't change the fact that he shared a locker room with him for multiple years and saw his work habits. doesn't change that what, first of all, it doesn't matter, okay, McHale's not a good coach. He's a three-time champion. He understands what it takes to win. You know what I'm saying? He, Larry Bird, Parrish, and DJ, like these guys went through the trenches to win. James Harden, like, after he kind of gained his fame as a star in Houston, he said, I saw an article today and he spoke about it. And we saw this happen in real time. People can debate it all they want, but we saw it happen in real time that around two or three years into the Houston tenure of James Harden, there were starting to be full compilations of not just him playing bad defense, of him not even trying on defense. Now, I do think that those compilations went so far to the point where in his prime, like when the Rockets were that close to beating Golden State, I do think Harden was a decent defender. He wasn't that bad. But he hasn't gotten any better in that respect. And I also think he doesn't – this is not a think thing. This is a fact. He doesn't move without the ball at all. He doesn't. He literally just wants the ball in his hands all the time. And besides that, he's a spot, he'll spot up and shoot. But he doesn't even look that comfortable doing that. So I'll tell you this. If we didn't have Westbrook, I wouldn't mind it at all. I think Harden would be a really good third option to run our offense. I really do. Because I think that's where he needs, what he needs to be right now is a third option. We saw him be a second option just now. And, yeah, Joel Embiid deserves blame. But come on, dude, they had you guys 3-2. They should have won that game in Philly. And then Jason Tatum showed everybody up in the fourth. James Harden in game six and seven, like how many times have we seen this story with Harden in elimination games? He does the same predictable between cross, between cross, over and over, and then step back. Like 
J- Draymond Green said it a couple of years ago, and this was talking about peak Harden. And he was saying that we know James is going to get tired. Why? Why so? It's not like he plays super hard on defense or rebounding. It's because he dribbles all – he wants to control everything all the time. And I think there's a lot of players that do that. I think Luka Doncic is another one that he'll exhaust himself by taking the ball handling responsibilities all the time. And some people say it's by necessity. Sometimes it's by choice. I think the Houston Rockets had plenty of talent so that Harden didn't have to do it as much as he did. But, again, he didn't want to move off the ball, doesn't want, didn't want to shoot mid-ranges. I, Kobe Bryant called it out. He said that that D'Antoni stuff, the Harden way he's playing, it's not going to win championships. And he was right. He was right. So when I hear Mikhail saying he didn't, like, where are the little things? I, I totally agree with him because I've seen James Harden. Like, look, one thing I noticed about you guys in Massachusetts is there's a certain standard, especially for your, our generation. Your generation of, of Boston sports fans has grown up with excellence, you know? Patriots have won so much. The, the Sox have had a great run since 2004. And even though the Celtics have only won one championship in recent history, you've been really good. Like Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, like these guys are the type of guys, even Ray Allen. I'm going to show my kids these people and to see an example that I want them to follow. James Harden in game six against the Heat last season, he, he was turning the ball over and like jogging back on defense lightly as if, as if this wasn't an elimination game. And that's just, as a competitive person, that's something I just don't want to have that around. And also, as you said, trade request 3.0. Everywhere he's gone, drama seems to follow. So the only way I'd want James Harden on the team is if we didn't have Westbrook. With Westbrook, it feels very redundant to me. I know they've played with each other before, but they played with each other in Houston when they were the two stars and there was no other star. Now there's two players that are better than them. And I don't believe you can just throw a bunch of talent together and just hope it works. I don't know. If, did we not learn anything with Phoenix this past season? So, like, another team I think is a prime example of this, and I, I know I've already mentioned them once, but 2019 Celtics. Let's, let me just read up the names on this roster. Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, second-year Jason Tatum, third-year Jalen Brown, um, Al Horford, Terry Rozier coming off an amazing playoff run. Marcus Morris, who's like, at that time, he was still an easy 13, 14 points a game. And then Marcus Smart. Like, those are, that's an eight-man rotation that's really good. And then I'm not even getting into, like, Daniel Tice, who I thought was a solid role player at that time. But one thing I realized watching that Celtics team being at UMass is there were too many guys that skill primarily was to create. And there's only one ball at the end of the day. You want to have creators, but you also want to have guys that are okay spotting up, okay just feeding off someone else's plate. And I think Kyrie Irving taking 20-plus shots a night, it totally hindered Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's growth completely. And I think when you saw Kemba Walker come in that next year, you, you saw him be like, you know what, I'm here to help Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown here. I'm not here to, to be the star, which Kyrie Irving left Cleveland to be that guy. And Jason Tatum became a star instantly, and the rest is history. So I think too many creators is not a good thing. And I think bringing in Harden, too many creators. It's not a seamless fit. So I'm very anti it. Interesting. I, I like a lot of the points you made. I mean, you know you know your audience better than anyone. This guy's got Celtics knowledge probably deeper than me at this point. Guy's just reciting the 2019 roster out of nowhere. Appreciate that. That's huge for the audience. But, you know, that being said, I think I, I agree with a lot of what you said, but I think it for me, what jumps out above all else is the faith in Westbrook. Now, you mentioned that a couple different times, and I don't, I'm not on record of being a Westbrook person, again, the basketball player, right? I think there's a lot of, of things you can respect about his work ethic, his durability, the effort that he puts forth in each and every game that he plays, like that, that much is obvious, and maybe that's a good mesh for what this Clippers team needs. But that being said, 
How many, I, I mean, I can ask you, how many games did you even play with Westbrook, right? Like, was it like what? Like maybe 10, 15 games at the end of the regular season, if that? And then and then obviously that those couple games against the Suns in round one. But I just didn't know if, if uh, you felt like you saw enough in that time where you have confidence that not only is Westbrook going to be a positive for this team for the rest of the season, but he's going to mesh well even when Kawhi, Leonard, and Paul George are healthy. Because, again, if those guys aren't both healthy, you're shit out of luck anyway. So I just, I just want to know your confidence level of him when, with playing with the full uh, you know, complement of, of that roster. It's a great question. I, I was initially anti-bringing in Russ, and I actually am a huge Russell Westbrook fan. Like, my dad went to UCLA. I've watched him since then, and I've been a really big fan of him throughout his career. But coming from the Lakers, he wasn't playing good basketball, so I didn't necessarily want him. I thought that... I mean, we know the reputation with Westbrook, like, right, like his playoff struggles, his, his erratic turnovers, his questionable shot selection, all that stuff. Um, so I was like, man, we're really about to bring in this guy who already has his doubts in the playoffs. We're going to throw him on our roster when Paul George, not like he's some guy that everyone's confident in that he's going to perform in the playoffs. But when we brought him in, we, we started out 0-5 the first five games with, with Russ. And I was like, this was a disaster. But, man, it, you could really feel that we needed someone like that for several reasons. One, Paul George, one thing you realize when you have him on your team is he likes to avoid responsibility a bit. And what I mean by that is after the bubble, he was saying that he was being used like a Kyle Korver, like he was only coming off screens, which wasn't, wasn't that true. And, but I will say this, Ty Lu put the ball in his hands and made him like a point forward because we didn't really have a true point guard. We had Reggie Jackson and Patrick Beverly. So Paul George and Kawhi were really our, our playmakers that season. And we went, went to the conference finals, as you said. So it was great. But now this season, he was like, I like to playmake, but I don't want the ball in my hands that much. And let me just say this about Paul George. His decision-making, is sometimes he makes decisions that are like, they make Westbrook's decision-making look good. I, I swear <laughs> it's that bad. I swear it's that bad. And some of the passes that he throws are like, I'm thinking in my head, like, you really thought that was going through? So Paul George makes some of the most in, in the timeliness of his turnovers. Like people say the same thing about Russ, right? He has them even worse. And I, I forget the advanced stat that one of the Clipper beat writers put up, but like it was his turnover percentage as the ball handler and pick and rolls. And it was so much worse than Westbrook. So I realized that Westbrook is definitely a better option to bring up the ball and stuff. But also the biggest thing is Paul George wanted him. He wanted to play more off the ball. He wanted to, you know, come off screens, get the ball in his pocket and work quickly and not to have to do as much work on the ball. And Westbrook made our offense so much better because what I really underestimated about Russ, and we give him a hard time for all the bad passes he throws, but man, Westbrook is a really good passer. Like he really is a true, like this guy averaged 10 plus assists multiple seasons. And I'm not super into the stats and all that, but you got to be a good passer to average 10 assists at the NBA level. Like, you just have to be. I, I, I can't think of one person that's averaged 10 assists or more at the NBA level and is not a good passer. Westbrook is the best passer we've had since, since Chris Paul for me. And you can just – I forgot how much we lacked that. You know, simple things like getting them the ball in their pocket coming off screens. You know, not having to make them adjust too high for the catch or too low. Or looking to feed Ivica Zubats when he hasn't touched the ball in a while. Like, true point guard instincts. And, you know, to me, the ultimate sign of an amazing pass is when you're watching it on TV and we get the whole widescreen view and they make a pass that you don't even see on the TV screen. That's when you know someone's dropping dimes. And Russell Westbrook, he did that. And we were playing some really solid basketball when Paul George got hurt. 
And I tell you what, the biggest thing that makes me have confidence in Russ is that even in the games that he didn't play well, because he's not the same player he used to be, we all know that. When he doesn't play well, Ty Lue benched him to close the game, and he was okay with it, still cheering on the bench, clapping for everyone. And that's what I think needed, I needed to see for me to say, it's not going to be bad if we have Russ. Because if he's playing bad, he won't play at the end. And I'm, my main concerns are with Russ closing the game. Not the first two, three quarters. It's that last five minutes where we've seen Russell Westbrook in the past make some really questionable decisions. So, I mean, am I going to tell you that I'm confident we can win a championship with Westbrook and Paul George? No. I'm not, but I really think that seeing West and also the vocal leadership, we needed someone like this because Kawhi and Paul George just, they're not like that. So I think Russ has been awesome, and I'm really looking forward to having him on my team for the full year. And just from my fan perspective, it was the most fun part of the season was when we got Russ because he, he adds, adds emotions. He, emotion, the same way Marcus Smart gets the fans at TD Garden involved, Westbrook gets the fans involved, and I love that. Yeah, and I think that that's a lot of great points being made right there, and I think the Ty Lue point is fantastic as well. When you have a coach that has won a championship, when you have a coach with the respect around the league of, of Ty Lue to make those difficult calls, right? As a Celtics fan, we were yelling at our TV all game because all season, really, because we had three incredible guards, and sadly enough, just the reality of the situation, Marcus Smart was the worst guard on our team of those three last season. And there were moments where Joe Mazzulla, rookie head coach, is not going to bench, you know, the heart and soul of the team in moments where he probably should, where Ty Lue, A, Russ is new to the team. He's a new guy in town. Like, there's not going to be that same built-in equity with the fans. And B, he's a coach that's been around the block a couple times where he's going to make those tough calls if he is on, on his bullshit, right? Uh, but I do think the interesting thing, too, that you didn't even touch upon, too, is the chemistry with Paul George, right? We didn't see him play with Paul George in a Clippers uniform, but, like, you know, that run they had in, in we 2018. Did. We and, did. Oh, you did? Oh, there were a couple, a couple games right in there, right, at, right yeah. at the start before PG. So we, that was right before PG's injury, correct? We had a four-game. Yeah, we had a – so that we lost the first five games with Russ. And then, if I'm not mistaken, we won four games in a row. Yeah. And then, yeah, we, we were starting to hit our stride, and then – he got hurt against OKC, Paul George, and uh, it's funny, like a couple minutes before he got hurt, he hit a 360 in a half-court set, like on a half-court possession. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> I, When I see guys in the NBA hit 360s on a break, on a breakaway, not in the half-court, like coming off a cut, backdoor cut. So, I mean, that just tells you, like, what kind of shape he was, he was in at that time, Paul George. So oh. it's very unfortunate that that happened because I think we would have kicked the Suns' ass, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you certainly looked like you had the best player in the series for the first couple yeah. games before Kawhi went down, and I was saying that, and, and that was while Booker was playing the best basketball of his career, too. I mean, that was just, it was a lot of fun what-ifs of this past playoffs, and sadly, the, the Clippers have been on the business end of those what-ifs uh, in recent history, and really the entire history of their franchise, for that matter, but... I think the Westbrook thing is so interesting because the book on him is is like he's he can't adapt, right? That has been the book on him, right? Like no matter where he plays, and and that's again that's what makes the guy great. Like he doesn't he's he's an all time player. He's going into the Hall of Fame. He's an MVP in this league. Like if if you built built your legacy playing a certain type of way, it is hard to adjust. Even though Father Time is undefeated, but what I will say is is the Clippers were the I couldn't really imagine him on any other team after how he did perform in that short sample size because. It's a good spot for him. He's with that veteran head coach that we already touched upon. And on top of that, like, 
at least he's not having to defer to guys like way younger than him at different stage in their careers that need the ball. Like this is a team that knows what they want to do. They're here to win. There's really barely any young guys in that entire roster. And he was, you know, basically cool playing second fiddle to, to Paul George for that OKC season as well, where Paul George was in the MVP conversation. So I do think that if there ever was an environment to get the best out of Westbrook, I, I totally agree with you that I think it is it is the Los Angeles Clippers through and through. That being said, just to tie it back to the James Harden thing, um, I know you made several points as to why you don't want him as far as the basketball perspective. I don't know if the Westbrook thing on its own is obviously enough to, you know, to deter a front office from trading for him because I think you can, it, it's never a bad thing to have a ton of playmakers in, in this modern NBA. But my next question for you, just to bring it back to Harden, is what is, is there even a price? Like, again, uh, let's assume, and I know you touched upon this on your last podcast, which, again, Locked on Clippers. Highly recommend to anybody out there listening to Words with Wallace to, to check out uh, Darian's podcast, Locked on Clippers. James Harden is on a, a one-year player option, right? And the, and the understanding and the frustration with James Harden, and, and we're all assuming the reason why he wants out of Philadelphia is because Daryl Morey went back on his wink-wink, nudge-nudge agreement under the table that they likely had to offer him a long contract extension for what number we don't exactly know but he wants a contract extension the guy's going to be 34 in like a week right he he sees the light at the end of the tunnel he wants some security for the next couple years now again he made the interesting decision of opting into a one-year player option so at this point in time he is only under contract through the remainder of this upcoming nba season so if the clippers were to acquire him and not have to give him an extension as a part of that trade or or anything like that would you would you take him then like if he was you know, what? what is the price where you would accept James Harden? I know you don't want him on a long-term contract, but is there even a price to get him in the building for this season if it really came to it? We're like, I know you're not a Marcus Morris guy at this point in his career. Like, is it is it just Marcus Morris for Harden? Like, is there a price to get him in the building? I think the, I think the organization would absolutely, if, if Terrence Mann's name was dropped in the trade talks, they would do it in a heartbeat. But for me, dude, I don't want him anywhere near my organ, like our organization. I don't want him anywhere near it. Like, look, every single... Person, I think every basketball fan has that one player they just can't stand the way he plays. And for me, James Harden is just that guy. I'm sorry, but like he just he just does things that fundamentally go against the way I was taught to compete and play and stuff like that. And again, granted, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but you you said something about Westbrook, right? About his lack of adapting, and I think that's true. I don't think he can really play that many different ways. But I think that's why this is so great for him is because we are asking him to just be him, be the point guard. Paul George said, I don't want to be the point guard anymore. You be the point guard. So we're giving him what he wants. He's not playing with LeBron anymore. But if you put Harden with him, now he has to sacrifice again. And now he has to play off the ball again. And it's that same thing we saw with the Lakers to me. I know our personnel is better, but this allows him to run the offense how he wants to run it. And I think that that's great because, yeah, I think Harden's better than Westbrook right now. But I think Westbrook does do some things, though, that Harden just could never do. Like, for example, I think to finish off on, your, on my Westbrook point of why I'm so confident in him, what made me that much confident in him, more confident, was the way he played in the playoffs. Because Westbrook had not had a good playoffs since the MVP season he had. To be honest, remember they lost to Utah. That was a complete embarrassment. Losing to Donovan Mitchell as a rookie. And then they lost to Portland, got embarrassed with that shot by Dame. And then in the bubble, he was injured, had that quad injury. He just wasn't the same. And in Washington, he didn't have a very good playoffs either. So this was his first playoffs that he balled out since the MVP year. He had one bad game out of five. And like that first game, right, 
He was three for 19, but he still had amazing defense on KD, had a bunch of rebounds, hit the two big free throws to win the game, and had that amazing block and throw it off Devin Booker's leg. Like, is James Harden ever doing that? No. So I'm not saying that Harden's better than him, but there are just intangible things that Westbrook does that I just love as a fan and as a, you know, as a, yeah, as a fan. And I just think Harden coming would, would make me say, where does that leave Westbrook? Then that's the main thing. We've, we've given him the keys. He's come back on a pay cut, $4 million for the guy. Like, he deserves to be the starting point guard. We've promised him that. And I think the main thing with Clipper fans that want Harden is they don't care about how Westbrook feels. They're like, he should go to the bench. He needs to do what's best for the team. That's exactly, we, we brought him in so he could be comfortable. That's why he was not happy with the Lakers. So I think they're neglecting the actual player relationships and, and, you know, the conversations going on behind the scenes. You want a a team with harmony and a team where everybody feels like they get to do what they want to do. And I think we have that right now. And I think bringing in Harden would just kind of stir it up. Understood. Understood. I like those points. This man knows his team. He knows his team. He's passionate about what he believes in from a basketball perspective. And we'll see how it works out, man. I, I'm just genuinely curious. We, you know, it, It's interesting entering this era of, of player empowerment movement where, like, look, it's one thing to make a trade request when you're under contract. It's another thing to be like, I'm only playing for Team X. I'm only playing for the Miami Heat. I'm only playing for the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, I know most recently, unless there was any news that I missed, I... I, don't, I know his, it's, it's known that Harden wants to go to the Clippers. I don't think he's been as forthright with it, with it as Damian Lillard has been. So we'll see how this ends up, man. I'm sure there might be some, some Harden suitors that climb out of the woodwork. If there are any, any Clippers updates, y'all know, I know I'll be tuning into Lockdown Clippers to get your thoughts on it. Uh, but I definitely appreciate that insight. And let's just make a pivot here. And I'm not doing this to bash on Darian. We're, we're, we're obviously very happy to have him. But I do want to revisit a trade that's brought up all the time. And it's a trade that really shaped the modern era of what this Clippers look like. And, and to find this trade, you have to go back to the 2019 offseason, right? And this is the trade that put together the Kawhi and Paul George era. And it was the trade that sent Shea Gilgis-Alexander away from the Los Angeles Clippers to the Oklahoma City Thunder, where he was, what, a, a first-team All-NBA selection this season. And just to reflect on that trade, uh, the Thunder acquired Shea Gilgis-Alexander along with Danilo Gallinari, Four future first-round picks, one protected first-round pick, uh, and right to swap future picks with the Clippers. Okay, so a couple pick swaps in there as well. So, But again, Shea, couple first, four first-round picks and some pick swaps in there. You know, obviously, when you look at the assets, I'm not, and again, I'm not doing this to be a jerk. I apologize. You know, it, it's not great. You're going to lose that battle asset-wise, right? Like, that is a lot to give up for Paul George, right? It is, it is a lot to give away Shea Gilgis-Alexander and all those first-round picks just to obviously be in, in the spot that we're sitting in now where they've re- achieved real no postseason success since then. But, like, what goes through your head when you talk about that trade? Because I think there's a lot of, uh, of things that fans don't understand because you have to take into account the, the Kawhi Leonard signing that wouldn't have happened unless this trade was made. So when you hear about that trade now and people make fun of Clippers fans for it, what goes through your head? Yeah, well, I think you said it best. I think everybody forgets that we, this is the Kawhi demand. He wanted to have another star. And you got to understand where the Clippers were as an organization. We've just done everything right in the 2019 season, that season with Lou Williams and Montrez and Pat Bev and, and Shea. We made it to the eighth seed and took two games off the KD Warriors. So you're just saying if we get one superstar, we can be something. And 
the biggest superstar who just won a finals MVP, the fact that he's even considering the Clippers is like, this is, this is the Clippers. We're the Clippers, man. Like we were the ones that were made fun of in movies. Like, so for a, the, the marquee finals MVP in the NBA to even be considering us, it's crazy. We got to figure out a way to make it happen. And especially when the Lakers got involved, because just think about it this way. What ended up happening in 2019-20 was the whole bas- basketball world was centered around the L.A. teams. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, A.D. LeBron. Like, it's a collision course for the conference finals, and they were selling it like that the second those moves were made. Let's say Kawhi went to the Lakers. Now they have Kawhi, A.D., and LeBron on one team, which we think is going to be like the new Golden State probably, and what are we left with? Lou Williams, Montrez, like... We would have been not selling out anything. We would have been almost forgotten about to the point where I don't know where our organization would have gone. So we had to get Kawhi. We had to do it. And look, we, we, I love SGA, and I thought he was going to be great. I thought he was going to be a future all-star. But if you were to tell me he was going to average 30 points per game in year five, I would have said, I don't know about that. So it's very easy in hindsight to say we should have kept Shea. I personally thought that Kawhi should have ro- rolled with Shea in them at the time but paul george i mean let's be real i know he's never averaged 30 points per game and sga just did but if sga ends up having the career of paul george he'll consider that a success you know what i mean paul george is still a hall of fame caliber player so no i think hindsight's 2020 but i would do the trade every time to get Kawhi learn and paul george on our team and here's why i'll say it's a success because we still had our best franchise like season in franchise history so all I said was this, okay, I want a championship, but as long as they take us where we've never been, I'll always have love for them, and I'll always say there's no regrets. And let me just say this, OKC is definitely set up to be better in the future, but you can't tell me they won the trade until they get to at least the conference finals, because at the end of the day, who makes it farther? It's not about, oh, well, you know, you didn't expect SGA to be this good, and he's now he's so good, and they have Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddy. Are they going to make the conference finals in this era? Because if they do, then you can say it's even or, or they beat us in the trade. But until then, let's look at the results after the trade. Because in 2019, OKC was a higher seed than us. They got game by game in the playoffs. We were the eighth seed. But since that trade, let's look at it. Clippers, second round exit. OKC, uh, first round exit to Houston. 2021, Clippers conference finals. OKC don't even make the playoffs. 2022, Clippers, eighth seed, lost in the play-in. OKC didn't even make the playoffs. 2023, we lost in the first round. They lost in the plan. So every single season since the trade, we've been better. Now, I know that was the intention that they're going to end up maybe better in the future. But until they make the conference finals, I'm not going to say we lost. Yeah, so I would do. I would do nothing differently. You know, it's funny because that's really the point I was – I knew you were going to arrive at that. I, you're a smart guy. You know what I'm talking about. But it's, it is just so funny that in this day and age, like every, every trade, every transaction, there has to be a winner and a loser. And it's always measured after like one season. Right. Like unless the trade is like objectively like hot garbage and somebody's career totally goes off the rails or you're the Timberwolves and you trade a million assets for Rudy Gobert. That shit was terrible from the gate, but that's that's neither here nor there. But unless it's a deal like that, like again, like we we don't even know, like the, the Thunder haven't even cashed in on all those picks yet. Right. Like obviously one of those picks became Jalen Williamson. I think that this. Again, it, it's going to haunt the Clippers, obviously. They don't ever end up getting over the hump or at least making another conference finals appearance, like you said. Like, there's no question about that. But the thing is, again, 
as of right now, the Clippers are one of the team, like one of the seven teams in the NBA. I, I could see a world in which they win a championship, and the Thunder are not even close to that list yet. This is, in my opinion, an example of of, of potentially a win win, right? Like if the if the Clippers are still more competitive, they found a way to make their franchise far more relevant. You know, again, they had the best season in, in franchise history. The Thunder recouped a ton of draft draft capital to rebuild moving forward, but you know. Again, I just think it's interesting that, like, we don't know. It's not over to the fat ladies things. Paul George is still uh, an elite player in the, in the league, and so we'll we'll have to see where this goes. But I think it is always funny to center people because the better Shea, get, Shea gets, you can't have, like, a Shea tweet from ESPN without, like, five people, like, just showing the graphic of, like, the trade details and how bad it looks now. It's like, let's just pump the brakes on that a little bit because, again, you might as well put – you know, Kawhi Leonard somewhere on that graphic because that doesn't get done without him. So appreciate that insight. I couldn't agree with you more. And so on that note, I think that that's almost everything I had for you here. I did just want to quickly pick your brain again because we are talking to an audience of mostly Celtics fans at this point in time for words with Wallace. That being said, you know, we did have a, a crossing of our worlds a couple weeks back with the uh, the trade that wasn't, right? A, the original details of the Kristaps Porzingis trade that would have sent, of course, Kristaps to the Boston Celtics, just like it ended up happening a day later. The original trade details had Malcolm Brogdon going to the Los Angeles Clippers. And now that's somebody that I think you have a different opinion on. And I wanted to get your opinion on, on when that talk was happening. Like, people were tweeting about it, right? Woj had tweeted about it. Like, hey, this deal's likely to happen. Here are the details. It was known that Malcolm Brogdon was likely headed to the Clippers for, you know, a good 12-hour stretch there. What was going through your mind when that trade was announced? Well, one, that we got rid of Marcus Morris, and two, that we're bringing in Malcolm. By the way, uh, since he's played for both of our organizations, I actually really like Marcus Morris. He was great until this season. It's just, you know, his knees went. Like, that's it. And Ty Lue just kept on playing him to the point where he was getting abuse online. Like, he just, you can't, certain coaches, when you just, I understand keeping faith in a player, but when you just keep playing them when they're clearly should not be playing the minutes that they deserve, you're setting them up to be, like, abused and slandered so much. So, that's my thing. I was super hyped that we had gotten rid of him, and I really like Malcolm Brogdon. Like, I've always been a fan of his game. I think he's really smart, um, high IQ player, good passer, good in the pick and roll, can shoot. Like, the thing was, I was kind of nervous about where that left Westbrook. But then I obviously heard that Malcolm Brogdon wasn't healthy, and I was like, man, if that injury is more serious than that we know about, we can't be bringing in more injured guys. Like, we're the Clippers, and the whole conversation <laughs> about the team is about injuries. So if Malcolm Brogdon's not healthy, then no, we shouldn't have gotten him. But initially, I was really hyped on the news. Like, I like Malcolm Brogdon. I thought when you guys got him last year, I was like, oh, my God, I wanted the Clippers to get him so bad. But, hey, sixth man of the year, he lived up to the hype. And I think he'll be, hopefully, if he's healthy for you guys, great again next year. Yeah, see, I think – I was similar. I felt a similar way, right? Like it definitely, as much as I like Brogdon and I thought he was better than Marcus Smart for the, for the majority of last season, like I still would have preferred to give away Brogdon rather than Marcus Smart just because of what Smart means to the team and, and how battle tested in the durability. So I think we were both in a situation where I would have liked that trade more. You would have wanted that trade to happen. So it is it is tough. I know I was pretty angry at the Clippers organization for allegedly they were the ones that pulled the plug on the deal, like you said, right? Because of, of, Brogdon's physical, but I do think that's a fun what if. We'll see how it pans out uh, for the Celtics this upcoming season, but I wanted to pick your brain on that. But again, Darian, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Before I let you go, my last question here, it is not related to your Clippers. You've been grinding. You've been with the Locked On Podcast Network for over a year now. Uh, you have your own personal podcast, the Dime Dropper uh, podcast as well, where you're going through your own NBA stuff. 
What is, you're clearly a sports media guy, you're a talented podcaster, what is your dream job in sports media? Wow. Um, my dream job, I guess, would be to have Dime Dropper on a bigger scale, but my, my real dream was to have episodes and podcasts where I'm talking to legends of the game, where I get to pick their brain and really hear their stories. I think as a kid, that's something I always wanted to do, is, is talk to these guys and like really hear their stories and and... Yeah, I would say that. But also, you know, a couple other goals that I've, I've, I've kind of set on since I've started this is one, I want to be a voice for Clipper fans. Uh, I'm not some. It's funny. I have like a couple. There's a bunch of people that hate me too because <laughs> you're just not gonna please everybody. But I remember one of them accused me of saying that I'm the voice of the Clippers. I would never say something so <laughs> egotistical. The voice of the Clippers is Ralph Lawler, and now it's Brian Seaman. But I said I want to be a voice for the fans because I think I represent what some people think. And I think a lot of people have shown that they feel the same way, and that's why I have picked up so many Clipper fans in my three years doing this. And then the other thing, you know, you mentioned at the top of the show, NBA history. I really, really think, and this was like right around when I graduated UMass when The Last Dance was airing, everybody talks about all-time this, goat this, goat that, but they don't really put in the proper work. So I felt like I'm going to do – the most research. I'm going to start from Bill Russell's rookie year because he's the first real GOAT candidate. And I'm going to document all my research. So I really want to inform people, educate people too, about a lot of the misconceptions that the media has. And since I'm on a Celtics channel, I'm going to say this right now. Don't let anybody ever tell you guys that those 11 championships you won were BS and easy. That's a terrible narrative. You know what you tell them? 10-0 and 0 in Game 7. If they were really so easy and the Celtics were so loaded that nobody could beat them, why did it go to seven games 10 times? So and the Celtics also came back from a 3-1 lead. No one wants to talk about that, do they? Beat the 76ers in the first ever 3-1 comeback ever. So these are just the things I've learned. I try to document my work. And so to educate, but my ultimate dream is to have Dime Dropper on a bigger scale, but to really talk to the legends of the game. I think that's, that really is my dream. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate. Maybe, maybe you are a little bit of an undercover Celtics fan. It sounds like we can. We, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it for you. I'm gonna pencil them as, as your second team, right? You need to have like, you know, that side thing, right? Like, if the Clippers get bounced early, the Celtics are still in it. There's a spot on the bandwagon. We'll, we'll get you back on the horn come Celtics playoff run if the Clippers are out, of course. But you can, you can admit to me, even if you won't do it on air. I know the Celtics are your second favorite team. You know way too much shit about our franchise. But no, uh, see, the Laker fans say the same thing. The Laker fans are like, dude, darn, you got to be your after when the Clippers are out, you got to root for your other LA team. And it's because I'm so passionate about the history of both of the franchises. I think Laker and Celtics history is just so fascinating. So many great players, so many great teams. And I'm just an enthusiast of that. So that's why I do come across that way. But, like, I do have a soft spot for the Celtics. And, you know, I'm actually not a Laker hater, to be honest, um, as a Clipper fan. A lot of Clipper fans do hate them, but I really don't because my, my UMass uncle that's a Laker fan, he was always – by the way, you'll never find a Laker fan that likes Paul Pierce as much as my uncle because he was going to UMass <laughs> during the, the Antoine Walker-Paul Pierce days. So he was like – he thinks Pierce is actually better than Wade. Like, he's like, Pierce is better. Like, <laughs> he's the that's biggest crazy. Paul Pierce fan as a Laker fan. But – yeah, man, um, I'm big on the history of both teams, so I do have a soft spot for them, but I don't necessarily root for either of them because you guys have 17 rings each. My team has zero, so it's like very hard for me to like want the rich to get richer. I was very happy for Denver that they won because they never won, so that's how I feel about that. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for your time, Darian. We appreciate you so much. Tell, tell the people on Words with Wallace where they can find you. Plug all your, your awesome podcasts and, and tell them where to find you. Oh, thanks so much, man. It was a great time. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dime Dropper Pod, and then subscribe to my own YouTube channel, Dime Dropper, because 
I do talk about other teams, not just LA. So during the playoffs, I was going live after every Celtics game. So like, if you want to see what I was saying about the Celtics, I have a playlist of everything after every game timestamped. I was going live talking about your games. Um, and yeah, NBA history stuff. Like for example, Sam Jones, who has his number retired for the Celtics, 24. Uh, I put, I took it upon myself to make the longest Sam Jones highlight reel on YouTube, which is like seven minutes long. And it has 11,000 views because he passed away last, sadly last year. Um, and so I will continue to make a lot of content on the Celtic legends and all that as well on there. And then as, as you said, locked on Clippers on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, you can follow that for five days a week, Clipper stuff. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time, Darren. And for you, Words with Ballers listeners, I should have hopefully another voice from around the league. Don't want to spoil anything. But again, we thank Darren for his time. And we will catch you guys next week. Peace.